Episode 15 of Milk and Bourbon. Um, today we're going to be covering Fight Club and The Great Gatsby. At first glance, that might seem like a very odd comparison to make, but the author for Fight Club, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, Polanuik. I am going to try it. I think it's Polanuik. He mentioned in his afterword that Fight Club was really his attempt at energizing, re-energizing the uh, plot line for The Great Gatsby in that it, the narrator or the prophet is this 30-year-old single man going through changes and he's detailing the story of um, a hero and his struggle with a certain female protagonist or antagonist, depending on how you look at some of these characters, um, Daisy and Marla Singer, respectively. But um, in how they struggle and what the struggle is, and both of those heroes, um, spoiler alert, <clears throat> end up getting shot and dying. So he tried to do a modern spin of The Great Gatsby. So The Great Gatsby was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald, first published in 1925. Um, I think Fight Club was in 1995. So there's obviously going to be some plot differences because... 70 years difference, there's going to be uh, changes in how things are viewed and how things are portrayed, obviously. But uh, as far as Fight Club goes, you can you can kind of draw some parallels between Fight Club and The Great Gatsby in how they treat people's perception of what success looks like. In both books, it's kind of centered on this consumerism type aspect where the more items you have, the fancier the parties, the uh, you know better the house, the better the apartment, the better off you are, or the better off you seem to be. And that's another thing that both kind of deal with is uh, perception and how humans are so beholden to how other humans see them that they'll do things that they don't want to do. It's like when people spend money they don't have to impress people they don't like, I think has been a, a quote that's been used recently even. And those, that theme applies to both of those, those movies and books. And what's funny about Fight Club is it became so ubiquitous that the rules of Fight Club, I could start saying them and people would have heard them even if they haven't read the book or watched the movie. And additionally, what was happening after... Mr. Polanuik is my, my stab at his name again. After he published this book, and especially after the movie came out with Edward Norton and um, Brad Pitt, he started getting people that would come to his book signings and asking where these clubs were at, where these fight clubs were at. And what's crazy is that while the author says there were some rumors that they were, there were fight clubs in New Jersey and London... That might be hearsay, but there were confirmed um, cases of something akin to Fight Club with similar roles after this book came out, after that movie came out in California, in several places, and also in Texas. 
And I'm sure that those were just the, the ones that were found out. Towards the beginning of the book, the narrator, whose name doesn't come out immediately, but I guess the author later on confirmed that his name was Jack. I am Jack's seething desire or whatever. If you've read the book or watched the movie, you know what I'm talking about. At first, I thought that was just a, a, a plot tool. Um, but apparently, that is the name of the, the narrator who's played by Edward Norton in the movies. Anyways, he talks about, I think it's in the very first chapter, he mentions that he's, the problem with men is that there's a generation of them raised by women, just women. And we, me and uh, a friend of mine in a prior podcast actually mentioned the detrimental nature of having been raised by just one parent, whether it's a woman or a man, just being influenced by one part one half of humankind is not benefiting these children. And it says that not only in uh, Fight Club, but also kind of alluded at in The Great Gatsby. And I'll talk about how the writers are different in their, their writing styles here in a moment. But he then goes on to say, the Fight Club narrator, that he's a 30-year-old boy And that he was wondering if another woman would solve that issue. It connects directly with what I read with Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And that was a common theme between The Great Gatsby and Fight Club. And I wonder if what the veracity of that is. Like, How true is it that being raised by a single parent can lead to, to issues on down the road? I know there was one person, uh, Mr. Greg... I'm going to not use his last name, but he, he commented on one of my YouTube videos. And he said that there's instances of some very great people that have been raised by just women. He mentions General Patton as one of those options. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's true. But is that an exception to the rule or is that, um, is that a commonality? Is that something that can be overcome easily? Um, being raised by just a mother or just a father, or is that something that is going to have effects and the majority of the population that are mostly negative. And if we're mentioning George Patton, he ruled with an iron fist. Um, there's been things that I've read about General Patton where it showed that he was kind of a micromanager, and who's to say that that isn't some outshoot or outcropping of his the way he was raised? Or maybe it's just who he is, one of those... Um, nature versus nurture questions, but who's to say that he didn't have personal issues and that the greatness of being General Patton had some reality to it of issues um, that he had in his personal life? I don't, I would, I couldn't pretend to to know that. So that's something to think about. One of the most profound things that I read in Fight Club was that the character goes to these these groups that have these terminally ill patients. It could be anything. Um, testicular cancer, ascending bowel syndrome, brain parasites, whatever. And he says that he loves going to these places, and he's talking to Marla Singer, and she finishes it because she's felt the same thing. No one truly listens to you unless you're dying. And I thought that was so strange because it's it's kind of true. People get so caught up in these daily 
their daily lives and how things are going and the minutia of what they need to do in a day that they kind of lose sight of how beautiful life can be and how important it is to invest in relationships. And, and I, I see this all the time and I, I see how people get caught up in, in this day-to-day life and, and it's really sad. And it, and I think that honestly, this, this kind of thing is what leads to some, some depression issues in modern day society. 1992 depression percentages in America were something around 3.6%. And by 2004, so over the span of 12 years, it was up to 7.6. Now it's evened out somewhere to around 5%. Um, active people seeking help for their depression or something akin to that. But I wonder if like that exponential increase um, in recent times is not because people are beginning to lose sight of what life is really about and they get caught up in what kind of furniture they have in their apartment or, or what kind of appliances or how big is their house or how big are their parties, what their clothes look like, what their car is. In um, Fight Club, I'm going to read the quote directly off of it. It says, uh, you see those cars that are completely stock cherry right off the, the showroom, and the author always thought, what a waste. Get a couple scratches on that car. It's just a material object. You're not taking it with you anywhere. And so I wonder if that leads to that depression because we're, we're starting to lose these links with people. I'm, I'm beginning to see it even more, and this is mentioned in The Great Gatsby. At 30, it, it's the promise of a decade of loneliness, a thinning list of single men to know, a thinning briefcase of enthusiasm and thinning hair. Thankfully, I know this is concealing it. I don't have thinning hair, but I, I see the point that's being made here, and that's relationships get much harder, especially filial relationships, the, the brother-to-brother relationships get harder as you age. You get caught up in your relationship with your your significant other or you go off and you, you, you get a job that demands so much of you. I don't know if you guys have seen what people are paying um, finance advisors, financial advisors on Wall Street or, or lawyers, but they're getting paid extreme amounts of money to cover up the fact that their work week is so damn hard and that their their quality of life is so damn low. And it's just getting covered up with more and more money. And so I wonder, like, the um, the same amount of Americans that have been diagnosed with depression is equal to this amount of Americans that have been diagnosed with some sort of allergy. So it's ubiquitous, 20%. At one point or another, 20%, one in five of all Americans have been diagnosed with some sort of depression. <laughs> And I think, like I said, it all boils down to where you put your value at, where you put your effort at, where you put your energy into, or what you put your energy into. And so I guess I, I'm just imploring you guys, the point that I'm trying to make, the point that these two authors are trying to make, because Great Gatsby has the same kind of vibe to it. It's, it's this insidious thing, this consumerism that, that America has been dealing with since at least uh, Fitzgerald's time in 1925. 
It's it's the obsession with the newest items. It's the obsession with just replacing things instead of fixing them. And I wonder if that translates over to relationships as well. And I wonder if that contributes to the divorce rate or to cheating or any of those things. Like there's a new model out there somewhere. Why do I have to put in work into the old one? That's for the books and the writing style. Man, I loved Fight Club's writing style. In fact, the whole movie, aside from like two things mentioned in the book, the whole movie is basically using the book as a script. Oftentimes movies embellish things. I'm telling you, this movie holds true to the book. It's really cool. I love the movie. If you haven't watched the movie, please go watch it. But Fight Club, the book's amazing. Uh, simply written, much like the the last two books, Slaughterhouse-Five and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and, and the simplicity of it, but it's very modern. Um, whereas The Great Gatsby, you can tell F. Scott Fitzgerald kind of really loves how many words he knows. And that was annoying to me. Uh, he, the writing was stuffy in The Great Gatsby, whereas in The Fight Club, it was so clear. Oh, it was perfect. I'm actually giving Fight Club the highest rating I've ever given. Uh, 4.7 out of 5. And then for The Great Gatsby, I, I hate insulting these classics, but sometimes I wonder why they're classics. I don't know. Like, I, I've no, I know a lot of people have had to read this book in high school. I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I'm going to give The Great Gatsby two. Two out of five. So, not a glowing review of The Great Gatsby. I think Chuck Palahniuk did a fantastic job updating it. I think the, the lessons in The Great Gatsby are inherent in Fight Club as well. So the lessons are good. Um, it's just like, how do people receive information in 2022? You have to read Fight Club. That's what I'm trying to say with that rating. You can read The Great Gatsby. It's relatively short, so maybe it's worth your time. Bourbon time. So this one, relatively new, um, another revived recipe from way back when. Uh, they started distilling again in 2014. They use a sweet mash bill, which means they don't... So usually people use the mash bill from a prior um, distillation just as a starter, um, just a little bit of it, just as a starter, and it gives it the sour taste. It gives it that acidic taste. Well, sweet mash... Um, is going to make this bourbon a lot sweeter. In fact, I read somewhere oh, at the end of the palate it has a little bit of a licorice taste, which I despise. Um, I hate licorice, but I'm really hoping that I don't get it. It it has a ton of other flavors apparently on the palate. Smells like flowers. We'll find all that out. But they only make 20 barrels a day. 20 barrels a day, which equates to something like 0.2% of the total bourbon production. Um, I think something like 6,800 something barrels of bourbon are, are made a day. So this represents a very small, small microcosm of the greater bourbon industry. I am excited about it though. Let's give it a try.
Hmm. I don't really smell flowers. It's 100 proof. The next couple of bourbons that I'm going to be trying on this podcast are all around 100 proof. Somewhere between 100 and 110. I'm trying to go into the heavier stuff. I've been doing a lot of um, Basil Hayden level proofs. So, here you go. way sweeter than what I'm used to, which isn't an issue, really, truly. I don't hate it. Um, I'm so used to like the sour mash or just the punches in the face that some of these, you know, 100 plus proof bourbons can provide. And this one, <laughs> I wouldn't call it smooth. It's definitely, it's complex. Um, it sticks with you. It's still there in the back of my throat right now. But it's pleasant all the way through. At no point as I took it was I overwhelmed by any of those flavors. I get like a... It kind of tastes like a, hmm, like a gingerbread cookie. A little bit. Obviously, as far as bourbons go, it tastes like a gingerbread cookie. Don't go into this drinking it thinking that it's going to be Christmas. It's very light, though. It doesn't sit... He- I don't know how to explain that, but like the, the flavor of it, it's not that the, the mouthfeel is light or heavy. Um, it's that the flavor is bright, light. I realized afterwards that I 100% did not rank this bourbon. I'm going to give it a 3.6 out of 5, actually. One of my higher rankings. So... Definitely something worthwhile, something worthy of your enjoyment. Oh, yesterday was my one-year anniversary of starting up this podcast. I um, released my first video yesterday last year, February 10th, 2021. And in that time, I've had almost 3,000 views, several hundred likes, Um. I've had, what is it, 338 hours of view time, 18 bourbons, 16 books, and a couple movies have all been gone through. Um, Something like 15,000 impressions, which means like people that have at least seen the video. Um, So 3K, what's 3 out of 15, that's one-fifth, so 20% click-through rate. And um, all very exciting stuff. I'm wearing um, the beanie that I made for the podcast. And um, I've actually got 15 more on hand now, if you guys are interested. I I appreciate you guys, the, um, I don't know, 28 people. I'll post a picture of some of the packages here. But those 28 people, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, let me know if there's any issues. I sent them out earlier this week. 15 more of these. I am going to be getting um, different colors later on um, if you're still interested in those. But I got 15 more of those. I got a couple of bottle, bottle openers. 
Um, but I, I appreciate all of you guys. Um, very happy to be doing this. I got up at 6.30 this morning um, rehearsing some of the things that I wanted to talk about. It's just something that is, that's exciting to me. But I love y'all. Stay safe and prepare for the, the closeout toast. As always, an ode to the grandfather. Up to it, down to it, damn the man that can't do it.